All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. So a few weeks ago, we started a discussion on the Holy Spirit, and we were talking about various different things about the Spirit uh, and related to specifically how to know what God's will is. Um, and we've talked about that over the course of a few weeks. We want to maybe start wrapping up that discussion this week and start talking about just what the Spirit's work is, um, maybe both today, but also historically. What, what do we know about what the Spirit does or is doing or has done? Um, and then maybe if we have time, be able to kind of talk about how to, you know, talk about the Spirit with people in the world um, and kind of their, you know, spiritual experiences or things. How, how do we do that biblically and, and accurately dealing with those types of things? Um, so, uh, I don't know, Justin, do you want to maybe get us started with talking about, you were mentioning some of the things like historically, especially back in Old Testament times about the Spirit, and we'll just kind of move forward on the timeline with how the Spirit works. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's been really helpful to me. I know a few years back, I spent some time just, I mean, this is not a, uh, a difficult exercise for anybody to do. You take a concordance. Uh, we probably don't have many of those around anymore. We're used to online resources, but you can use that uh, physical or online and just start looking up the use of the word spirit. And not every time the Bible mentions spirit, is it referring to God's spirit, uh, the spirit of God. But as you begin to look through a, a number of passages, some of which we can look at today, um, the spirit is a, a person. Um, you know, my spirit's not a separate being from me. Uh, but the Spirit of God is. Uh, you can lie to the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit can be grieved. Uh, that's in Acts 4 uh, and 5, as well as in Ephesians 5, not to grieve the Spirit. Uh, and so he has a, a, an emotional response. He um, cares about communication with us. He has a will of his own. He, he uh, communicates in Romans 8. So the number of passages, but you start looking at uh, just how much the Spirit is talked about in the New Testament, you begin to wonder, well, is this kind of a new idea? But when you start looking at the Old Testament, he's pretty busy in the Old Testament, too. Uh, I just want to throw out a few passages. And actually, before I do this, can you guys think of anybody in the Old Testament uh, that the Spirit worked upon or ways that the Spirit worked in the Old Testament? Kind of open that up first. Yeah, the first one that comes to my mind is David. That might not be the first chronologically, but when when David is anointed as king, the spirit of the Lord rushes on him. And was it first first Samuel sixteen, or around there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think he's a fantastic example of what that looks like when the spirit of the Lord rushes upon someone, um, or when the spirit of the Lord is active in someone's life. Uh, you'll see that David isn't commandeered by the spirit of God. Um, you know, we we may think of being of uh, the spirit dwelling in someone. And so almost like puppeteering someone, uh, you don't really see that uh, in the New Testament. There's an interesting occasion in the Old Testament where something kind of like that happens with Saul. Um, but that's sort of like what demons do in the New Testament. Like in Mark 5, we haven't gotten there yet in our Mark study, um, but the demons will commandeer someone's body and throw them into the fire or throw them into the water, try to destroy them. The spirit doesn't do that. He's looking for a partnership. And David, because he was a man after God's own heart, then that was a fitting partnership. Um, what else can you think of other times someone's, maybe you've got a concordance in front of you, you're looking it up, I don't know. Um, some other times the spirit was active in the Old Testament. Well, there's the story of, of Balaam, and that's a good example of someone who had connection with God. 
knew God, believed in God, and had faith in God, and ended up striving with that spirit. And I cannot remember if in the story, um, the word spirit uh, is is used to describe Balaam's behavior, but he he prophesies for God. He speaks to God, gets God's information, and is told to speak only what God speaks, which was contrary to his assignment. His assignment was to curse God's people, and every time he would get up to speak a curse, the spirit would speak through him, and he would say a blessing. And that's bare. That's I agree with you, Justin. That's not commandeering the body and commandeering the man. But when he tried to say something against God's will and against God's spirit, the spirit only proceeded with blessings out of his mouth, right. which is a neat description of just the concept of prophesying. Yeah, yeah. So we think about prophesying. You're not going to see in the New Testament, um, in, in the period of the New Testament, the New Covenant, in the written word prophets who are just sort of commandeered or puppeteered uh in fact in first corinthians paul's going to tell the prophets you need to be sure that you know you are in charge of this that you're waiting for one another no more than two uh so there are some instructions about you know how to speak in an orderly way um so maybe we can look at that at some point yeah balaam is fantastic uh, as an example because even though the spear rushes upon him earlier Remember, he had the interaction with the angel who warned him about what he was going to say. So if the spirit was just going to like grab him and make him talk, then what's the point of the angel? Uh, so the angel, I think, demonstrates for us that Balaam's in control of the situation. He can choose to speak the word of God as the spirit comes upon him, or he can choose not to. Uh, but he complies, at least on that occasion. Later, of course, uh, he causes some problems for the Israelites, but that's another study. Um, one, of, one of my favorite um examples is Bezalel and I think Aholiab it's not specific to Aholiab but uh in Exodus 31 and 35 um Bezalel who's of the tribe of Judah there's probably some kind of Christological foreshadowing there you've got a, a man of the tribe of Judah building the dwelling of God uh, but he is inspired uh the, the spirit comes upon him and I mean what in the world does a cherubim look like well Bezalel is going to know you know, he's, he's, he's going to be given uh, insight into the heavenlies so that he can build the tabernacle, help to artistically express uh, the dwelling of God there with the tabernacle and people of Israel. So what we're seeing is uh, speaking God's truth. We're seeing uh, protecting God's people. That's what David does. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon him. We see that with actually some of the judges as well, Othniel, uh, Gideon, and Jephthah all were said and, and uh even samson you know the spirit of the lord began to stir samson in judges 13 25 uh samson's a whole nother ball of wax uh i don't think he's given to us as a good example uh but he does show something of faith he's depending on the lord depending on the lord's strength and i don't know i don't really we always picture sam how, when you see samson illustrated in books how does he appear well he's a massive dude yeah, he's going to bench press. I don't even know what people bench press, but like 300 pounds or something like that. That may not be very much. Uh, but he's he's a really big guy. But it was the spirit that gave him the strength. So I don't know. Maybe he was a Barney Fife. Uh, who, who knows what he was? But it's the spirit that gave him the strength. So the spirit is um, is revealing God's word in the case of Balaam, protecting God's people, uh, helping to express heavenly 
uh, glory through Bezalel and Aholiab, uh, leading people to victory with Joshua in Numbers 27 and Deuteronomy 34. He's, he's working with Joshua there. So some really helpful, just principled ideas is when does the Spirit show up? Why does he think it's important to get involved? What we're going to see in the New Testament, I think, is going to be similar. Um, of course, in Luke 4, uh, Jesus comes along and in the synagogue says, quoting from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, and, and so some of those same themes get played over again uh, in, in a spiritual way in the New Testament. Um, anything else you guys think about when you think of the Old uh, Testament and the Spirit working through them? Well, j just one little story. It's a tiny reference, but um, j just the sense that the of the Spirit being a person and, and that we do see that concept in the Old Testament. And when, when God is upset with what the world has done uh, by the time you get to the days of Noah, there's that concept, my spirit will not always strive with man. And so there is that idea that, that what is in him, his will and the spirit that, that is with God, uh, that spirit won't always strive with man. And then we figure out what, what is it that happens in, Gen in Genesis that resolves that, that problem. And then we also have a, a moment, again, just trying to connect the, the continuity um, through the through the Old Testament, the New Testament, you mentioned Justin grieving the Spirit is a concept that we see in, in in the New Testament. Well, the Spirit striving with man would would work that way. Um, when the Pharaoh is looking at uh, the skills and the abilities of Joseph, he says, "Are we going to find anyone else that has the Spirit of God like this guy?" Uh, and and uh, that that way of describing how he has the Spirit of God that that's just that's it. We think of that as often as a New Testament phrase. And here is an outsider, someone who is separate from God's people, and he's looking at Joseph and he's seeing that in him. Um, even if it was, uh, well, it was interpreting dreams and 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 knowing the right path to to move forward and how to interpret God's will. Yeah, and that phrase, full of the Spirit, uh, a a pagan man uh, can look at a person say there's something about this person that's different it reminds me of acts chapter six when uh the 12 apostles tell the congregation we want you to to choose from amongst yourselves men who meet certain qualities and we'll appoint them to the task of caring for the widows one of those qualities there in Acts six verse five was that these would be men full of faith and of the holy spirit uh i don't think there was like a spirit tester device or anything like you, you had to see something in their lives uh galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the spirit so you can see the impact of listening to god following god being empowered by god um being guided by his truth all of those those things uh, help us to think about what does that look like and, and you don't have to know deep down what's going inside the man jesus talks about the the fruit that's born it, it comes from the root there's something happening in the heart so we can see that coming out in someone's life. Yeah. Now, there, there's one, one more, maybe two more. Uh, actually, there, there are, listen, there are a lot of references in the Old Testament. You can spend a long time talking about this. I just want to talk about two briefly. Uh, one is in 1 Samuel 10. It begins there, and you can track it. Uh, Jonathan mentioned David as uh, a man upon whom the, the Spirit came. He was a man after God's own heart. However, in 1 Samuel 10, when Saul... Uh, was anointed as king before him, there in uh, verse 6, uh, he's told by Samuel, 
And the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with these other prophets and be turned into another man. So the Lord is going to, by the power of the Spirit, turn Saul into a different kind of person. In fact, in verse, uh, verse 9, it says that when he turned to leave Samuel, that God gave Saul another heart. Uh, and that connects with kind of a second passage there in Ezekiel 34, where it talks about God making for us a new heart. In Ezekiel 18, we're told to make ourselves a new heart, which is it. Again, the Spirit's looking for a partnership. And so what we see with, with Saul is that God gave him a new heart. The Spirit came upon him. But as you kind of follow him through the rest of his life, um, what does that look like? The first time we see Saul working by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him in chapter 11. His anger is kindled. So there's sort of an inspired anger and he responds to protect the people and to save them from their enemy but as you continue to follow Saul later in chapter 13 he disobeys God uh, then in chapter 14 he's serving himself rather than serving God's purposes finally in chapter 15 he rejects God outright and by the time we get into 16 in 16 13 the spirit rushes upon David and in verse 14 first uh, Samuel 16 14 the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So there's this, this arrangement, this fellowship, even in the Old Testament that we can kind of see just, just through the story, just follow the story. Saul's initially turned into a new man, given a new heart in chapter 10. The Spirit of God rushes upon him in chapter 11, but then he rejects the word of the Lord and the Spirit leaves him. So he's, he's not choosing to be influenced by the Spirit of God. And, and so the Spirit's not going to hang around and work with someone who's just totally rejecting him. On the other hand, David, a man after God's own heart, Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And what we read of him uh, in Acts 13, um, also in 1 Samuel, is that God was looking for someone who would do all his will. And that's the kind of person that David was. Doesn't mean that he never disobeyed God. I mean, in fact, if you just sort of numbered the sins, I mean, David ends up with some pretty grotesque sins, but he's yeah. soft-hearted, he's repentant, uh, he's loyal. When he sees his sin, he turns back quickly. Uh, he's someone who responds to the Spirit's instruction. So when Nathan comes to him and says, you're the man, he listens. You know, he listens to a Spirit-inspired teaching from this prophet. Uh, and that's, that's what we're seeing with the Spirit, even in the Old Testament. That should give us some clues about what we're going to look for in the New Testament. Dan? I just want to point out one one small thing there. You're talking about the this the way David is working with the Spirit and responding to the Spirit, and more often than not, it is not because the Spirit is sending him secret messages or zapping something into his heart and his brain. A guy comes up and tells him the story and points out David's shame, and David responds to that. Now, in that story, we know that Nathan the prophet is is guided by God's word, but um, what we have here is a friend communicating to another friend, look at what you did wrong. You need to make yourself right. I don't want to diminish the, uh, the majesty and the power of God and his spirit, but I want to show how simple it can be. A simple parable um, made all the difference was, this, was the way the spirit made all the difference in, in David's life. It didn't have to be magic show and um fog machines and, and all sorts of excitement just a parable yes yeah it, um so maybe maybe we can segue to 
into this idea then of the influence of the spirit. What do we mean then, or what is what is meant by the spirit coming upon someone? Well, in the Old Testament, there's this power that goes with it. There's skill. There's the ability to discern. You know, again, what does a cherubim look like? You know, a holy Bezalel. They're they're doing that. Um, when you get to the New Testament, though, we might say, well, obviously that's miracles. You know, if the spirit comes upon you, then you should be able to do miracles. However, go back and look at Acts 6, the passage we mentioned earlier, and those men were to be full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and we're not seeing anybody doing miracles until the next chapter. The apostles laid hands on those men, and, and so, so what's happening here? Scott, do you have a thought? Actually, there in Acts 6, it does talk about Stephen doing miracles. Is that before or after um, hands were laid on him? It said they had laid hands on them, but I don't know that that was the laying on them. I don't, that seemed to be the laying on hands as in designating them as servants, deacons, kind of like okay. the apostles laid hands on. Mm -hmm. um, so right after the introduction to the seven, it mentions that Stephen was speaking with wisdom and I believe doing signs or wonders. Right. Yeah. I got my chapter division mixed up. So it is in the middle of chapter six, verse eight, where he's full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs. Um, but even before that, he is he is said to be someone in verse uh, verse three there, someone who's full of the spirit and of wisdom. So I guess I guess what I'm asking is and someone today might ask, if you're full of the spirit, then shouldn't you be able to do miraculous gifts so let's take john the baptist full of the spirit from his mother's womb and yet the gospel of john tells us that john indeed did no son now he was a prophet yes but he, he didn't do confirming signs like jesus did and uh the apostles did now god did some confirming signs at john the baptist's conception and so, you know, everybody was watching and saying, what kind of a child would this be? But he himself did no purpose, even though it said he was full of the spirit from his mother's womb. Right. So here's a verse. I don't know if and I've been uh, disconnected for a while because Zoom told me I had to update to get on. And it wanted to, it kept going round and round. It wanted to add 182 megabyte of stuff. So I finally did it. <laughs> And now I have the capacity for Indonesian language on the computer. Oh, no. Okay. I still have no capacity for it here. But I'm so sorry to be coming in late. Uh, but I want to throw out a couple of verses. I, I don't want to interrupt the thought that's here. So I go right ahead. And if you guys want to table that so later, say so and pursue your thoughts now. But if this is a good timing for this. So you see all these things that you guys were talking about in the Old Testament, and you get to Hebrews 1.1, and it says what? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. By the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So let's just enumerate briefly what were some of the ways that he spoke to the fathers in the Old Testament dreams and visions yep. directly speaking to them 
you know, the still small voice, you know, it, it, different things. But now he spoke to us of his son. And then Jesus says in John 8.31, if you remain in my word, then you're truly my disciples. He says in John 12.48, my word will judge people on the last day. Now, I want to throw out something here. Does the New Testament, did Paul teach sola scriptura to Timothy? Trick question. Did Paul teach, so if we go to 2 Timothy 3 and say, every scripture inspired of God is profitable for proof, correction, etc. And so we say, okay, so right there, sola scriptura, because scripture gives us whatever we need, okay? Did Paul teach sola scriptura to Timothy? No. Right. No. Because he also told Timothy to Don't stir up the or remember the gift that was in him through the laying on of his hands. Laying on of his hands. So Timothy was to use both written scripture and the prophetic gift he had been uh, given. The Thessalonians were to pay attention not only to the scriptures that Paul had said to them, but also to the things that Paul had taught them orally, verbally, when he was there. So sometimes when we bind ourselves to Protestant theology language, it can get us in a sticky wicket. Uh, but you still have these statements that it's Jesus's word that we're to go by. And we see the examples searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. Um, but they're also listening to the words of the apostle, verbal words of the apostle. But we come down to today, do we have the verbal words of the apostles anymore? Not orally, but we have them, you know, written, right? There you go. Yeah. So we have their verbal words put down on paper. Like, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount was originally a verbal discourse. Now we can read it. The Sermon in Acts 2 was a verbal discourse. Now we can read it. And so when we read it, in this last passage is on a mission of this line. Can somebody just take us maybe through Ephesians 3, the first few verses, and just kind of see this chain of sequence from the whole, from God through the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets to us? Yeah, so in Ephesians 3, 1, Paul uh, mentions himself as being this this servant of Christ, this prisoner of Christ, and the stewardship that he has, that he's talking about his ministry and preaching, which he'll say is that he was a minister and a, a evangelist unto the Gentiles, commissioned by Jesus himself. Um, but he he starts in verse three, talking about how he was writing the revelation that he received from Christ directly, and he talks about that progression that you're talking about, starting in verse four, that when the recipients of his letter read that, they can see. Paul's insights into the mystery of Christ that was made known to other men in the generations and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the spirit. And then he talks about what that mystery is. The Gentiles are welcomed in. So that, so the progression is the spirit revealed to the apostles. And I, maybe you could even start with Jesus. Jesus sent the spirit to reveal to the apostles and prophets, his will, which was written down by Paul and, and spoken by Paul so that it could be 
heard by others. So it starts with Jesus gets to others through the spirit and the apostles. So if you lived in the time of Moses and he gave you the written law, listen to that. And if Moses is also standing there verbally and says, hey, Scott, hey, Jonathan, hey, Justin, Dan, do this. And we should do what, what he told us to do there, too. If we lived in the days of Paul and Peter, inspired apostles, uh, we shouldn't wait until they wrote it down to listen to the word of God from them. We should do it when we hear it verbally. But they're still not here today. So instead of imagining that we have their authority uh, or imagining that we think we know what they might have said about something, we should listen to what they wrote down because that's what you're going to So when you get to a passage like Ephesians 4, where in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, there verse 11 and 12, some would say, see, we, we need apostles and prophets today. And it sounds like what you're saying is, uh, well, we have them. It's just in written format. So the apostles and prophets work is still being accomplished today when we listen to their word as having been recorded, preserved Amen. for us. Amen. Um, so we don't need apostles. In fact, the point we've made in previous weeks, 1 Corinthians 13, as well as Acts 1. I don't, I'm not remembering if we went to Acts 1 or not. But some of the criteria for apostles, uh, specifically the 12, was that they were to be eyewitnesses of the things that Jesus said and taught and did uh, and to his resurrection. We don't, we don't have people uh, who, who would meet that criteria today. Uh, but when we listen to their word, then they're still active today. Their, their work is still active. Ephesians 2 verse 20, uh, the work of the apostles and prophets is the foundation of the church. And then in verse 22, it's through that work that the spirit is building up the church. So is the spirit functioning today? Absolutely. Um, and he's using part of his, his tools that he's using uh, is the, the teaching of the apostles and prophets. Jonathan, you had a thought? Yeah, I want to just think about maybe another example of, of the spirit working and, and kind of that way and connect two passages. You guys can tell me maybe what you think about this. Um, Jesus talks a lot about the spirit in John 14 through 16, whenever he's telling the apostles, uh, I'm going to be leaving and I'm going to send the spirit to you or the helper. He's called also in that section. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to reveal things to you, reveal what I've taught to you, remind you of the things I've taught to you, tell you the things that I couldn't teach you yet, all those different kinds of things. But in chapter 16, he, he mentions specifically some of the things the spirit or the helper will do. And uh, chapter 16, John 16, verse seven, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if concerning, uh, but if I go, I will send him to you. And then verse eight, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness, because I go to the father and you will not see me no longer and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So he mentions kind of three things that this, the helper will do, the spirit will do, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. What I think is interesting about that is we read, I think, of an example of that exact thing happening in the book of Acts, mm -hmm. in Acts chapter 24, whenever Paul is on trial with Felix, 
um, after he, he has his trial with Felix, he's sent back away to prison and Felix ends up leaving him in prison for a few years. But in that time period, Paul is reasoning with Felix. And it's interesting what the text says that Paul is reasoning with him about in Acts 24 and verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and they sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Um, so it, it replaces kind of one of those with sin, with self-control, but I think that's kind of the same type of thing. But those three kind of things show up again. That, I think, is Paul doing exactly what Jesus said the Spirit would do you know, with the Spirit. He's, he's convicting the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment <laughs> that's coming. Um, and now we see Felix doesn't respond well to that. Uh, he, he ends up kind of pushing Paul off, waiting for a more convenient time. He's kind of hoping for some personal gain, um, but doesn't get that and kind of abandons Paul in prison. But why I bring that up is because even in the first century with the apostles and them, you know, being engaged and kind of having this, um, you know, multi- um, uh, kind of action with the spirit and and working with the spirit and doing what the spirit is supposed to be doing it's not this like mystical kind of experience it's just them reasoning with truth uh, and being led by the spirit and doing that there are moments when the apostles will lay their hands on people pass on the gifts of the spirit and they can perform miracles and prophecy and speak in tongues but there's also times where the apostles are just reasoning with people um, you think about like also with Philip, whenever Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch, um, he reasons with him from the scriptures in Isaiah 53 and teaches him Jesus. Um, Paul will go into the synagogues and talk about the scriptures and the history of the Jews and God working with the Jews and bring them to Jesus. Peter in Acts chapter two will reason with them in the scriptures to confirm that Jesus is Lord in Christ. And I think that's all doing exactly what Jesus said the spirit would lead people to do. Um, by reasoning with them and convicting them about those three big truths, righteousness in God, convicting them of their sin, and warning them of the coming judgment. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys, what you guys think about that, but it's interesting, even in the New Testament, that's the pattern, and that's still, I think, largely what the Spirit does today. We don't want to put the Spirit in a box and say that's only what the Spirit does, but that's one of the, the primary things Jesus said the Spirit would do and did in the first century. Mm -hmm. And and you spoke there about convicting others, uh, in particular convicting the outsiders, the, those who are interested in Christ and are, and are uh, do, you know, learning about Christ. And that's one thing the Spirit will do there. Uh, another story uh, that is, again, another model for the behavior that we're supposed to have is, is in Acts chapter 15, when there is this big debate and this big question about uh, what are we going to do with circumcision or not circumcision? Do Christians need to keep the law of Moses? What's interesting is I, I think God was there. I think the spirit was there, but we don't have kind of the way you said it. We don't have this mystical or uh, transcendent uh, revelation of the spirit. Uh, Paul just says, I've been teaching this stuff so far and God has confirmed it with his miracles. Peter retells the story about how God told him to go preach to a Gentile and James steps up and quotes scripture. And we can do those things. We take the scriptures, we look at the stories, and we say, look at what it is that God is revealing to us. How do I know this will of God? How do I discern what is the will of God? Well, the Spirit lets me know what God wants, and, and I can look at what, what the Spirit has revealed in his word. And, and so, that, so they model it for us themselves. Every one of those guys could prophesy, and no one does that. They just look at the examples in the scriptures.
Justin. So, so again, we're, we're talking about uh, you know, miraculous. You guys are saying it's more than that. Uh, it's not less than that. It's actually, it's, it's beyond that. The miracles confirm the work of the spirit, but this work of the spirit is not limited to limited to the miraculous. Uh, some passages maybe that could be helpful to us. Romans uh, 7, verse 20. Um, I think many people are familiar with Romans 8, verse 11, that talks about the spirit dwelling in us. Um, what does that mean? Um, well, Romans 7, verse 20 talks about sin dwelling in us. Um, sin is not, you know, act, there's not like you can't cut somebody open and find, you know, oh, there's, <laughs> there's sin. Uh, that'd be pretty convenient. Uh, we're talking about influence here. We're talking about the idea that we're listening, reasoning, as Jonathan and, and Dan both said, uh, the Spirit should be influencing us and helping us to make decisions. When we're listening to the Spirit rather than listening to ourselves, listening to the flesh, uh, then we're being guided by the Spirit. We're walking by the Spirit. And Scott, I think, had a really helpful chart about that a few weeks ago. Walking by the Spirit uh, means we're being empowered by the Spirit as we're listening to His teaching and just practicing it. Scott, you had a thought? Your mic is muted, Scott. Uh, I like what Carl Wieselkamp uh, said one time. Somebody was pressing him, you know, how does the Holy Spirit, how does the Holy Spirit, Carl said, I don't even know how my own spirit dwells within me. <laughs> and so I just, I just like that. We don't have to understand how God works every single thing. Uh, I like the rhyme between that. The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us that we may do as well. And most people would do be a lot better off if they would just listen to what Jesus and his apostles said to everybody instead of looking for some special statement that God gave to you or me personally to make us feel special or turn God into our magic eight ball. Uh, and I'm reminded of the story of rich man and Lazarus. So this comes back to something uh, Justin pointed out earlier when people say, oh, don't, you need to have apostles today. Mormons, by the way, like to say, we have apostles, you know. You don't. Uh, and it's just pointed out, we do have apostles. And you can show it from this passage in Luke chapter 16. What did the rich man want for his brothers? We wanted uh, someone from the the dead to go back and warn yeah. his, his brothers. Yeah, a special tailor-made message, you know, supernatural for his brothers. And what was Abraham's answer? Yeah, Moses and the prophets listen to them. Yeah. He doesn't say they used to have Moses and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. If you've got the words of Moses and you got the words of the prophets, you've got the important part of them. Amen. You don't need their hair. <laughs> you don't need to know what their beard looked like. You don't need to know, you know, the, the tenor of their voice. You, you need to know what they said. So you're saying the same thing with the spirit. I don't need to know some of these things, but I know what he's saying. I know what his will is. And so many people are looking for, and this is encouraged by a lot of the teaching in the mega churches and in, in certain Protestant circles. You know, a 
about God's special plan for you. God's special plan to make your business thrive. God's special, you know, and James says that there's a revealed will of God. First off in Matthew 7 that Jesus refers to. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, goes into the kingdom, but those that do the will of my father. Well, how do we know that will? Next few verses, Jesus said, those that hear my words and do them, that's the wise man. You hear my words and do them, that's cool. But there's unrevealed will of God referred to in James 4. Come now, you that say, today or tomorrow, I will go to this city. I will spend a year there. I will make money. And James says, why? You should say, if the Lord wills, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. If the Lord's wills. Uh, and I just think way too many people are looking for, instead of them have a personal submission to God, they want personal revelations about everything from what brand of pillow to buy or where to go for lunch or how to make it. And you know what? I think God is more concerned about whichever job you have to happen to be in treating people right. And whatever state you happen to live in, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself and submitting yourself. And I think a lot, it's similarly with premillennialism. Have you ever noticed premillennialists always are predicting that it's coming right up in our generation? It's all, it always has to be about our time. And when you study with them and they find out it's something wasn't about our time, they feel cheated. But well, what about me? What about me? Everything doesn't have to be about us. Things are about God. Us bringing ourselves in submission to God and listening to his will is much better than spending a lot of time misinterpreting signs around us looking for things that end up being revelations puffed up in our own question. so that's my right hey, well you know we, we talked a bit about that kind of submission earlier with the examples of king saul versus king david uh the spirit left saul when he's disobedient and the spirit of the lord continued to help and bless david as he was obedient uh, and we see a similar pattern in, in the New Testament. There are a few more passages just briefly. I want to point out uh, one. Like, I, I, would, I, I just I think I'd read it for years and never really thought about it. But Acts 5, verse 32, um, people ask today, like, how do you get the spirit? Um, Acts 5, verse 32, um, the apostles are before uh, the Sanhedrin and they say we are witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Uh, and you may think, oh, well, that's just talking about the apostles. You know, here we are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's consistent with the rest of Peter's teaching. Uh, yeah. it's, it's consistent with the rest of Jesus's teaching. Who does God give his spirit to? People who want to listen to the spirit, people who want to obey the spirit. In Luke 11, verse 13, uh, so that the father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Well, how do you ask? Well, part of it is you, you, you listen so you can obey him. <laughs> that's part of asking. Um, Acts 2, 38 through 39, I think, is, is saying that God gives the spirit to those who repent and are baptized and those who are calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, and that's confirmed by a passage like Ephesians 1. Uh, believers have the spirit working in them today. Ephesians 1, verse 13, 
in him you also, when you heard the word of truth and, and the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The idea, I think, here being God says, you're mine, and here's a sample of my power. Uh, and what we'll see in other passages like Romans 8 is the spirit of God in us is this hope that one day not only will my inner man be transformed, but my outer man, my, my body will be raised up to immortality. I think that's something that we should be thinking about. You know, what difference does this make? Well, it, it means that if I'm listening to the spirit, if I'm obeying the spirit, then I have a hope for what the spirit promises me, which is the resurrection. It is immortality. And I need to live as though I'm empowered for future immortality. Ephesians 3 uh, continuing what we had read earlier about the work of the Spirit and building up the church, Paul prays in Ephesians 3, verse 16, that God would grant the Christians to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, the Christian doesn't just have the Spirit in him, should have the Father and the Spirit and the Son in him, which means we're being influenced by God to do his will because we're looking forward to the promise of the spirit, the promise that is the resurrection and eternal life. Uh, th that motivates me to uh, live a pure life, to do things that I didn't think I could do on my own, uh, to be courageous, to be a little more bold. Um, this isn't just sort of a theoretical, theological, interesting doctrine. It, it should change the way that we live. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're muted, Scott. There's background music, so I keep muting. Sorry. I want to throw in one last thought on how to talk to people when they're talking about their experiences and everything. Every, I'm going to abbreviate this short because we're about out of time. But several years ago, I met a man who said, I'm looking for a place that'll teach the Bible. So what's this we want to do here? And so we're going to get together for a study. We didn't study the Bible. He talked about his experiences. We met again. He talked about his experiences. He continued to talk about his experience, his experience, how he felt this special thing happen, on and on. And eventually I told him, I said, look, I said, I wasn't there. You know, your experience in life or, or not my experience in life, I wasn't there. But I don't go by other people's experiences. I go by the word. Because I've had people tell me things that like, and I mentioned the guy that I met in the Czech Republic who apparently thought he was the Messiah. Um, there was the other guy I met who said he met the angel Gabriel on Coney Island when he was wearing leather pants and plaid jacket and a bandaid on his finger. Uh, you know, you can go on and on with the different things that people have told us. It's not our job to believe everybody's experience you can say what your experience is and what you believe about that, but that's not what is going to convince me of something. I said, what, what I need to hear and see, show me in the scripture. So I didn't tell him your experience didn't happen. I just let him know, you know, the, these experiences people tell me about don't translate over into me or my experience. What you need to show me is what scripture says. And then we moved on and we started studying the Bible. And then one day he asked a question about a particular subject and I started to go to a way to show this. And I thought this was very interesting. 
is I was going to a way to show this in a you know logic oriented way and make the point. He said, I wouldn't go that way. He said, I would go with experience, my experience because what I found out is people can't argue with experience. And that's very telling, very telling. Yeah, yeah very telling. Um, and we need to offer something to people, people something deeper than that, than just a nebulous thing that we're asking them to believe without witness backing it up. And you know, you won't find David saying, guys, trust me on this. I got this feeling, I got this experience, the spirits upon me. Um, you know, he'll, he'll tell the priest later, we didn't do it the way God had told Moses. We've got to go back and do it the way it's written. Dan, you had your hand up. What, what, what thoughts would you have in closing? Well, it, it, yeah, and this is, this is a good way to close, I think. Um, it's, a, it's a modern phenomenon for us to assume that the truth is found in our own belly. And uh, up until the, the early modern period, truth was found outside. And honestly, scientific study assumes that way. If we look and observe and study this object or this behavior, we will learn the truth. Uh, we have to use our brains, but the truth about how does a garden grow doesn't come from my own brain. It comes from observing a garden. And the truth about how does God cause the garden to grow or how does God uh, want me to live doesn't come from my own belly. It comes from what God reveals. It comes from outside of me. It comes from outside of my experience. My experience might help me understand some ideas, but the truth comes from outside of my experience. And so uh, towards the end of Galatians chapter five, if we are gonna be in the spirit, we need to keep in step with the spirit. If that's how we live, then that's how we need to walk. And we learn to walk not by our gut, but by the spirit. Amen. All right. Well, um, well, thank you guys for your discussion today. Thank you for our audience for tuning in. Uh, if you have some more questions or comments or anything you'd like us to discuss uh, about the spirit and, and the work of the spirit, uh, how to know that or different things surrounding that idea, you can let us know about that on BibleQuest.tv. Uh, or if you have some other questions that you'd like us to discuss in the Bible, uh, any passages or, or specific questions that you have, we're happy to discuss those as well. You can uh, go to our website again for those things. Um, and we want your comments. That's why we do this. We want to we want to talk about what you want to talk about and answer your questions from the scriptures. So uh, we'll be looking forward to getting those in the future. That's all that we have for this week. And so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.